Oh, so good to see you. Good to be with you this morning. I'm just grateful for the opportunity to be here. See your faces. Glad you braved the cold today. Uh, so um, I'd like, uh, to, if those of you who feel up to it, to stand again just for a second while we read uh, today's text, which will be on the screen here. This is Proverbs 1, 20, and 20, 20 to 22. It says, wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. She says, how long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Lord, open this up to us, we pray, and grant us wisdom. Amen. You can be seated. I think this, uh, what kind of sermon is this? It's not, well, it's not the kind I normally like to preach the most, which is where I take a block of text from the Bible and work through it kind of uh, bit by bit or line by line. Uh, but I think it's a pretty good uh, talk for a new year. It's, a, it's about habits of what we consume. So, um, so, here in this, in this text that we see, uh, wisdom, the wisdom of the only wise God is personified as, as this woman, and wisdom recognizes that the world needs her. You see that? She says, you guys need me. The people in the streets uh, need me. The people in the markets need me. She says, uh, she says, you all need me. You don't have enough wisdom. The people at CNN and Fox News need her too. Um, the people on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram desperately need what wisdom wants to give, what she wants to give them, you know, herself. Um, when people lack wisdom, our conversations and our communications become sick and can make us increasingly sick in our souls. And, then, and then actually, when we get sick in our souls, sometimes that affects our, our bodies too. So we need wisdom because the world is not wise. And there is no compelling case to be made that it's getting any wiser. We're, we are not inundated with wisdom. Um, we are inundated with information, data, lots of ideas, lots of opinions, and lots of noise. We live in the information age, and we have more access to more information than any generation that ever preceded us. We're more aware uh, than any previous generation of global news, for example. Once people could be concerned about what was happening in their town, that's really most of the news that they knew. Now we can either worry or pray about all of the bad things that are happening all over the world. Um, I've always had questions about all kinds of things, but when I was young, it was harder to find answers. I might know someone who knew something, maybe could find an expert, you know, to ask my questions. Or maybe I could find a paper dictionary. Some of you will remember those. Or an encyclopedia. Uh, and, or, or if I was desperate, I could go to the public library and dig around in the stacks there trying to find an answer. I rarely wanted the answer bad enough to follow that path all the way to its conclusion. 
But now, if I want to know who was the MVP of the 1986 World Series, I can find it in seconds on my phone. If my phone is asleep when I pick it up, it will wake up and greet me with information about who sent me messages while I wasn't paying attention. And sometimes with clickbait about news chosen for me by some computer program, probably based on a profile of my uh, interests and tastes that it's created over time. That happened just the other day. I was doing some preliminary work on this sermon, and I stepped into Lynn Fleshman's office across the hall from mine. And uh, when I came back, I opened my phone case, and I was greeted with this. This is what's on this slide. Apple News, this year's most scandalous stories. Stories you won't be able to put down, featuring how Airbnb makes PR nightmares disappear, celebrity pastor falls from grace, and babies who were switched at birth. I didn't take the bait. I didn't go follow that to learn about all that stuff. I had enough trouble already to think about. So... I like my phone, but it comes with risks. It gives me access to more information than was contained in all of the books in that library in my hometown. I mean, I've got access to more information with my phone. Oh, I left it in my office. With more information on my phone that was in that library, you know? I mean, it's amazing how much I can get. So, but it could also uh, make me its slave. Now, I think my parents, who are in their 90s, remember things better than I do. And if that's true, there would be several reasons. First of all, they never had as many ways as I do to store and access information. You know, I I mean, I don't have to remember anything. I have apps that do that for me. Apps remember stuff for me and then remind me, I can tell it when to tell me what I want it to tell me. Uh, So... And, and, and I think, actually, the more I depend on those things, the, the less, the, the lousier my memory gets. I mean, because I'm not actually having to use it very much. But, um, but secondly, my parents were not bombarded with the astounding quantity of information that's become normal for us in the age of digital technology. I mean, just, I, mean I see more words every day than they did when they were my age. So I'm thankful for easy access to information, but the truth is that the current constant deluge of information is not actually making us healthier. The number of Americans diagnosed with major depression increased by 33% in the five years between 2013 and 2018. And research shows that increasing numbers of people say they are essentially unhappy. Life expectancy rates, which were going up for a long time, started decreasing in 2014 and continue to decline, um, largely due to increasing rates of suicide and drug overdose. As the deluge of information has risen, so have rates of depression, suicide, and drug overdoses. I mean, it's, it's a fact. So there's a connection between the information we consume or that we're bombarded with hour after hour and our mental, emotional, and spiritual health. When it comes to information, to some degree, we might be, as they used to say, you know, you are what you eat. What you consume does shape you. So 
I, I came across a recent book by Brett McCracken that addresses this in a way that I found really helpful. Uh, Brett McCracken is from Oklahoma. He's a senior editor of the Gospel Coalition, and he's an elder at a church in California that's part of the larger uh, New Frontiers family of churches. McCracken took the model of the food pyramid, uh, which in its several versions tried to show us that we should consume what we should eat more of and what we should eat less of to maintain a healthy diet, and he applied this to our intake of information. So here's a here's a here's a version of the of the food pyramid. Remember that? Remember seeing that? More of the stuff on the bottom. Higher you go, eat less of that. Or here's another one. Here's another one. Here's another version that actually tells you. There you go. Eat less, eat moderately, eat more, eat most. See, see that's the that's the instructions. Okay. Now next slide. This is his book where he talks about wisdom, and he's going to talk to us about what we consume if we want to be wise and not just informed. So, so I, I like the subtitle of this book, which you can't read because it's too blurry. The, the subtitle, next slide, says, Feeding Your Soul in a Post-Truth World. Feeding Your Soul in a Post-Truth World. This refers to the idea that there is no such thing as kind of universal objective truth. So increasingly, you've heard this, you know, you have your truth, I have my truth. And Oprah Winfrey says you should all know your own truth and claim your own truth. So uh, the, Ox, this, the Oxford Dictionary has declared post-truth to be the international word of the year in 2016. Uh, that was the word, post-truth. And then in 2017... Time Magazine's cover story was the question, is truth dead? Now, the fascinating thing about that is, 50 years before that, they published a cover story saying, is God dead? So, and these two questions are related. (laughs) Because if, if there's no God, then there's no absolute truth, right? So... A world without, here's a slide, I think I've got this slide where I'm quoting myself. A world without an authoritative God or a certain source of truth is going to produce lots of information that will provide no healthy sustenance for the human soul. So that's really what we're talking about this morning. We're thinking about information as something that we feed on and we're suggesting that our diet of information makes a difference. Now McCracken Uh, identifies three problems with our information diet. He says it's generally unhealthy to eat too much, too fast, or only what most pleases you. Would you agree with that? It's generally unhealthy to eat too much, too fast, or only what particularly uh, pleases you. So let's talk about those things, because that's also true of your information diet. What kind of information? You know, the quantity, the speed... And, and if, you know, how you sort out what you're gonna eat. So, um, first, too much. Information overload is not healthy and it can be very hard to avoid. And information gluttony, which is where you, you actively pursue filling your head with more information than it can process, is unhealthy. If you spend a significant portion of your day online, scrolling through pages, following the clickbait, checking the news, reviewing your social media uh, channels, and seeing who's commented on whatever you posted yesterday, 
you are setting yourself up for information overload. And in addition to uh, other downsides to this habit, it's it's really it's it's proved it's been proven to be hard on your brain. The work of sorting and evaluating all that you encounter has has been proven to be mentally exhausting. And you do have to sort because the profound theological quotation on Twitter is right next to the funny cat video. So this is not a context that. Twitter is not a context that accommodates critical thinking. It, I mean, they, they, they give you a few words you can say. Just a few words, a few lines. So, but then, you know, there are ways to make your information gluttony even more damaging. And, and I want to, I want to uh, introduce you to a word that may be new to you. It was, it's a word I just learned last year. Doom scrolling. Had you heard of this one? Doom scrolling. It's a real word. And it is the act of spending an excessive amount of screen time devoted to the absorption of negative news. I mean, enough people did this that they had to get a name for it. So, and, and um, studies have suggest that a, that a connection between lots of consumption of bad news produces, shouldn't be surprising, higher levels of anxiety, depression, stress, and even symptoms similar to post-traumatic stress disorder. Can you believe that? Oh, I believe it. Absolutely. If you're, you know, just consuming loads and loads of bad news, it's probably not going to make you happier. Now, I said that Twitter is not a platform that accommodates critical thinking, and that's connected to our next problem. It's, It's generally unhealthy to eat too fast. Now, this has to do both with the speed of our consumption and the speed of preparation. It's about people quickly consuming information that was very quickly prepared, kind of like gobbling your fast food, you know? So we're talking about living on quick takes, unexamined ideas, social media conversation that moves quickly and disappears quickly, news stories that were rushed to press prematurely, and, and this problem is applied, the news is because all the news sources want to be the first to break the big story. You know, of course they are. They want to be, I mean, you know, they need to be out front, under pressure to be the first. The downside of this is that sometimes the first report is not the most accurate one, which means that news sources and government officials regularly say things that they have to correct. This was so frequent during the heights of the COVID plague that CDC officials pontificated, vacillated, and backtracked to agree that was almost comical. Did anybody else notice that? I mean, they'd say something and then say that something different like the next day. They were retracting things and changing the news all the time. So, and, and, and when that happens, it, it makes even worse. It exacerbates a pre-existing confusion and justifies people who go online to find support for whatever they're predisposed to believe. And I want to tell you, you can find support for anything you want to believe on the Internet. Anything. So, sometimes the first report is remembered better than the later corrected version. Here's a story about that. In June 2016, a man went into a gay nightclub in Orlando, Florida, and shot and killed 49 people before he was killed by the police. Any of you remember that? Yeah, The first report of the events presented it as a hate crime against homosexuals. But later it became clear that it was an act of protest against American foreign policy in the Mideast. 
The perpetrator picked the nightclub without any knowledge of its clientele. But the first report is the one that most people remember. The point here is that carefulness is better than speed in producing and in consuming information. So, too much, too fast, and then too focused on ourselves. Too much about me or my preferences. It would not be healthy to eat only what pleases you most. And in the same way, it's not good for your soul to consume only what affirms your prejudices, justifies your politics, and encourages you concerning your innate goodness. (laughs) Because, you know, you don't have innate goodness. I mean, there's an astounding amount of information available for your consumption that is all about self-promotion, self-actualization, loving yourself first, and finding your own personal truth. And this is not the diet that produces wisdom. So, what kind of information diet do we need if we want to uh, grow in wisdom? Well, here's a slide of this wisdom pyramid, which I found very helpful. So, the pyramid graphic. So, you notice the thing on the bottom there, the basic thing, the thing we need to do first is feed on the Bible. It says there, you know, the Bible is our daily bread. And the Bible is is the most reliable source of wisdom. Um, The beginning of wisdom is to hear God's Word. God's Word is the beginning of wisdom. It's the foundation for wisdom. And and if you want to hear God's voice, you, you should read the Bible, because He speaks through the Bible, and you can learn to hear Him by reading His Word. So... So the Bible is, as it says here, our, our daily bread. Uh, Jesus, Jesus said, uh, or it says in, in Scripture, it says that man doesn't just live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from God's mouth. And, and Jesus said, I am the bread of life that comes down from heaven, and the things that I say are, are food for you. So, so the Bible is our daily bread, and it's the ideal place to start. It's like, that's what we need most, is God's Word. We, we live by the Word of God. It's, it's, it's what sustains us. Lord, I want that. I want that. You know, we encourage everybody to read the Bible. You know, we're reading... Um, reading... Um, we're using this schedule. There's a value, you know, if you pick one of these up on the way out if you want, there's a value in being in a community that's reading the same thing at the same time. It gives you opportunity to talk about. Did you, did you read that? What did you make of that? Or, did you read that? Wasn't that glorious? So, so anyway, um, you know, Ezekiel had this vision um, of God, in which God put his words on a scroll, a scroll of a book, and then he said to Ezekiel, eat this book, fill your belly with it. And Ezekiel ate it and said it was sweet as honey in his mouth. That's a good story, isn't it? God put his words on a scroll, said eat the scroll, and it was sweet. God's words are nourishment for the soul. And David talks about that a lot, about how God's word corrects and comforts him and sustains him. That's thick in the Psalms. And then Jesus, you know, said, 
Give us this day our daily bread, which isn't just about physical sustenance, but it's about feeding our souls. So, but then above that, the next thing, the next thing where you'll find wisdom is, is from people who love Jesus. So that's the next thing. It's the church. And, and here it talks about, he talks about embodied rhythms and worship. So, so one of the things that will make you more wise is if you show up on Sunday morning and sing about how great God is. Because, because when you're singing it, you're reminding yourself of how great God is. When we sing these songs about Jesus, it's like catechism. We're instructing our own hearts about who God is. And, and, it, and it's great doing it together. Because if I stop singing, I still hear you telling the truth about our God. So, with people, you know, you do that together, and then it's pretty good to do it alone, too. And then, and then the other thing it says is like, when we're talking about the church local, we're talking about wise people in physical, in a physical place. This is, and, and you know, I, I just want to say that I am so thankful that when I'm in a conundrum, I know people who, because they've walked with God, have good sense. I can find counselors who will instruct me or help me through my issues because they've been feeding on the Word of God and they've gained wisdom over time. So we've got access to that in the community of God with people. And then and then it, it talks about there, it says there's both like the people locally, but then there's like the people who went before us. That Like, for example, the class that we're doing where we're going to be teaching theology. The things that we're teaching are things that the church has been teaching itself ever since Jesus went back to heaven. So there's a long history. And when we, when we teach these things, we're able to draw not just on what we see in the text, but what godly people have seen in the text over the past 2,000 years. So isn't that rich? And, and you know, there are wise people in the history of the church. You know, there are people who went before us whose wisdom is available to us. So, so that's a, that's a good thing to feed on too. Then, then the next thing that it says that we should feed on is nature and beauty. And there it says, get outside. And then it talks about general revelation and gratitude for what's been given. Now, you know, there's, there's like, specific res, uh, revelation, you know, that's like in the Bible. And general revelation refers to what the Bible talks about when it says that everybody should know something about God because He's made something known of Himself in creation. So much so that Paul tells the Romans, people are without excuse. They should have, they should have just been able to look around and tell that there's a powerful God who made everything and might have some expectations. And that's what Paul... That's what Paul says. And so because of that, we're able to actually enjoy this general revelation. And, 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 uh, and, and actually, that general revelation, I, I find uh, routinely in nature. I mean, I go out in the morning, I walk. It's easy to pray because the sun is coming up and a new day is dawning. And it's time to give thanks again. Uh, did we sing that earlier? We sung it sometime. That's a song. The sun comes up. It's a new day dawning. I'm going to give thanks again because this is the day that the Lord has made and I'll rejoice and be glad in it. And oh, look at those deer out there in the field. They're all they're at my house all the time. Man, there's so many deer this year. Is that true everywhere? I had six of them in my yard last month at the same time. 
Okay, anyway, but the, I'm sorry, I'm kind of, I'm just talking up here. But there's beauty all around us. And, and the beauty reminds us of, of the Creator who makes beautiful things. And then he says here, he talks about you, you give gratitude for that, but then there's, there's both natural and created beauty. Because here's the glorious thing, God has enabled people to make beautiful things. And so there's art and there's music. Glorious, you know, kind of wonderful, wonderful music. Oh, I got ahead of myself talking about beauty. I wanted to say more about the church. Church. But the value with being about people who you know, love and trust God and believe the Bible. So good. Dietrich Bonhoeffer describes this. Can we find that? quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He says, uh, here's what he says. God has put his word into the mouth of men. Um, He means people. God has put his word into the mouth of men and women in order that it might be communicated to other men and women. When one person is struck by the word, he speaks it to others. And God has willed that we should seek and find his living word in the witness of our brothers and sisters in the mouth of other people. Therefore, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. That's true. Next. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain or discouraged. For by himself he cannot help himself without belying the truth. He needs his brother man as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. I just want to pause there and talk about that. Belying the truth. I wondered about that. Belying the truth means misrepresenting something. In context, I think Bonhoeffer might be saying it's not honest to try to convince yourself of something you don't believe. Or maybe he's saying that assuming that you can fix yourself is at some level a denial of our essential unity and mutual dependence. Could be either of those things. But he says it. I think it's good. So, yeah... Is that he needs his brother solely because of Christ. I love this part. This is my favorite sentence. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain. The brother's word is sure. I think that's so good. I mean, I've experienced that over and over again. I felt weak. I wasn't clear. And somebody spoke the word of God to me. And it, and it, it was stronger when I heard it than it was in my heart before I heard it. So, so that's why living in a, a community where people have interaction with one another and can encourage one another with the Word of God is so valuable. I don't know if you, if you knew this, but Mark Zuckerberg has this plan um, for the metaverse. The metaverse. And um, it's going to be glorious. The metaverse is going to be glorious. You can have church in the metaverse in the future, and you will be able to attend that church through your avatar of your choice. And um, I think it's not going to work. I don't think it's going to work out. I think that Christians want to be among embodied Christians and not just hang out with each other's avatars. You know, I mean, this is good, right? Like together with the people of God in person. 
I don't think it's ever going away. So, that's good. So, so back to the graphic then. Back to the graphic. Um, nature and beauty. And, you know, I just think here about music and art and children. I, I listened to the London Symphony Orchestra's version of Handel's Messiah in the time leading up to Christmas. It was great. I also listened to the Christmas album by Bella Fleck and the Flecktones. That was really good, too. <laughs> music. I mean, music. It's amazing. There's so much good music. Nature, beauty, music, art. And then, and then above that, the next thing, books. He says more old books than new. Read great books. Read broadly. And... Uh, I had this conversation with uh, Glenn Fleshman. Can we see it? Here's the conversation. Tim, what three dead guys did you say you were reading? Glenn, Watchman Nee, Herman Bobnick, and Elizabeth Elliot. They lived on three different continents in two different centuries, spoke three different languages, and all have instructed me so well. Isn't that great? Books. Um, I mean, I'm just... I want to celebrate. My granddaughter Maeve is reading uh, Laura Ingalls Wild, Wilder. My granddaughter Sophie is reading Jane Austen. My grandson Henry is reading The Lord of the Rings. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this blessing. That my, these grandkids are reading rich things. So, um, so then... Books. And then uh, less of the next one. Books are, but less of this. Google, Wikipedia, only as needed. Focus on trusted sources and prioritize content met, recommended by wise people. That seems, that makes sense to me. And then at the top, this is the, this is the small, this is what you need just a little bit of, if any at all. Social media. Sparingly, and I think the next line there is important. Ask yourself, could you live without it? Yeah. Could you live without it? Because you know, too much is bad for your overall health. So, I wanted to share this with you. I found it really, really helpful. Helpful to think about the importance of what I consume. What am I consuming? What kind of information am I feeding my soul with? And will it make me wise or not? And I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that if I, if I read the Bible, that'll help. And that if I'm in communion with wise people who are following Jesus and loving Him and speaking truth to me, that will, that will probably make me wiser over time. And I think if I, if I get out and take walks and see what God has done in nature, what He's created, and and think about His beauty and His power and his, his providence in making the sun come up every morning and the seasons change. If I think about that, that might make me wiser. And if I read good books, that might make me wiser. And if I use the Internet with discretion and 
don't spend too much time on social media, I might get wiser over time. So um, that's what I wanted to uh, talk to you about this morning. It's the beginning of the year, and it might be a good time to think about what information you're consuming in what kind of doses. And to, you may, it's, it's for me, it's less about, I think it's less about thinking about what you're going to stop doing and more about what you, you, you want to focus on. I think it's possible that over time things could di- get displaced naturally if we picked good sources of things to think about and feed upon. So, um, so I want to pray that, that God will help us with that. And um, why don't we just go ahead and stand? Well, I'm thankful, Father, for your providence and goodness. Thank you that you've surrounded us with beauty. Thank you for your provision for us. Uh, We thank you for your son who said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And so, Lord, we want to feed on Jesus. And and we want to do that by paying close attention to his word and to the scriptures, which he commended to us. And um, and Lord, we pray that we would seek out the wise And that we would read with discretion. And that we would be careful not to spend lots of time feeding on what will not satisfy. I pray, Father, for real discretion about our pursuit of information. And and, and Lord, that we would see value in, in getting away periodically from the deluge into quiet places where it's easier to hear your voice. We pray, Father, that you'd help us in all of these ways because we want to be wise and we want to serve your purpose as well. In Jesus' name, amen.